Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to hear real life stories about how God works all things together for good, because he is always faithful and always good. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to a new Redemption Press author, Ed Malone. So uh, before I uh, welcome him to the digital stage, let me give him a proper introduction. Ed Malone has been serving as a pastor for 48 years. Along with being a pastor, he enjoys raising Black Angus cattle, carpentry, and writing. He's the author of three books. Uh, He earned a Master's of Divinity degree from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary after graduating with an electrical engineering degree from the University of Tennessee. He lives out his faith by helping others and works as a lead carpenter for Habitat for Humanity, has been a counselor in a residential home for juvenile offenders, and has fostered children. He is a Vietnam veteran, Ed and his wife of 54 years, her name is Gail, live on a farm in Tennessee and have two children and eight grandchildren. So first of all, Ed, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. You bet. So before we jump in and talk about your new book entitled Three Simple Words, I would love for you to share with our audience um, just one of your favorite Romans 8, 28 stories where you couldn't really see how God could work good out of it, but he did work all things together for good and just a, a way that he showed up in your life. So I would just love for our audience to get a sneak peek into how God has worked in your life. Thank you. I think back across my life, and as all of us, there are many occasions where we've seen God come forth and show himself and his goodness to us. But one particular occasion, I'd driven to Nashville, Tennessee, to uh, get a root canal done, of all things. When I came home, I could notice a black cloud in the, in, in the, in the, on the horizon. The closer I got, it looked toward my house. And my own, I live on a farm, and my driveway's a half a mile long, and I can't see my house until I actually get right up against it. And as I drove down the uh, driveway, I noticed, I knew then that that the house had had burned. And when I got there and I was sitting looking at it and there was nothing left but the blocks. It was a log house that I'd built. We'd lived in it for five years and uh, had nothing left but virtually the shirt on my back. My wife was at my daughter's house, I knew, and taking care of our grandchild. So all I, as I sat there, I said, I've lost a lot of stuff. But what matters in my life is still the same. It hasn't touched my salvation. It uh, it doesn't affect my faith negatively. I know that, you know, Father, you'll pick me up and we'll go forward in this and you'll show yourself in, in the rebuild and accomplish something even more than I could ever dream. And I moved to a new location on the farm, built a house back, and uh, we've been living it now for 20 years. and got new memories and new things, and God was faithful. And uh, I, you know, I just want to say to folks all along the way that, uh, you know, if your eyes are focused on stuff, you know, you can get really disappointed. But if mm-hmm. you're, you know, when you're focused on the kingdom and that, and it's a kingdom that can't be shaken, can't be burned down, can't be carried away from you, then we're okay. And we'll do, we'll, we'll make it fine. 
Mm. I love that. So, um, Ed, with your new book, we're going to just jump right into that because three simple words. These words have changed the lives and revolutionized the world for all who follow them. Now, that's an intriguing book title with a lot to live up to. So tell us about these three powerful words. All right. For most people, you know, they would think of what three words would you want to hear more than anything else that would revolutionize your world and change your life. And for most folks, they would say, how about won the lottery? Well, I'm here to talk about more than than the stuff of this world. You know, you got to know, first of all, who spoke the words. And once you find out who spoke the word and what those words are inviting you to, then it becomes something far uh, surpassing any concept of winning the lottery. The words, of course, are spoken by Jesus, the one through whom, by whom, and for whom all things were created. And his three simple words is an invitation, invitation to a miracle. Come, follow me. An unending journey that will will spend eternity continuing on, and he we give he gives us the opportunity for that, and as you follow it, it will truly revolutionize your life and your world. Mm. Amen to that. Okay. So, so tell us what was the driving force for you to write this book? Well, if I were to tell you that I had found uh, a cure for. Uh, uh, birth defects in children, or I found a cure for cancer and I was sitting on it, your response wouldn't be very pleasant. You know, you would say, wow, you found something so important and you're not sharing it. Well, I had a crisis point in my life, in my marriage, and I didn't know how to make my wife happy. You know, we're headed toward the proverbial divorce and all this sort of thing. And I found as God in my uh, crying out to him in prayer, he said, in a relationship with me, I will take you to life. And that's what I want to introduce people to is following Jesus, not just believing something about him in, in following him in an empowering relationship. And so I can't sit on that. I got to share it with as many people as I can. You know, one of my, my, my favorite reads is in the Old Testament prophets. I'm sure you have a favorite one that you like. And uh, but the prophets are often. Uh, labeled as one who tell the future. But the primary role of the prophet was to address life now, telling it, the people who believed they were the people of God how far astray they'd come. You know, Jesus had the same uh, uh, role when he was here to be able to say, it's only lip service, it's not heart connection. And even in Christianity, as it grew out of out of the ministry of Jesus, we get up to the Reformation. We got to once again say we got to realign ourselves, got to readjust. We go back and pick up that we've gone too far away from the basic principles of our faith. Now Protestantism is 500 years old, and it's a time that we need to stop and say, "Are we like Israel? We we need a prophet. We need somebody to come in and say, here's the standard that we ought to be following that we have somewhere lost in our way." Mm. So then it sounds as if you've set for yourself quite a task. How does the book lay out in accomplishing your goal? All right. Jesus confronted man-made religion and the, old, the prophets uh, confronted a religion that was mixed with the ways of the world. And, you know, Protestantism right now, if you say, I want to be a Christian, they say, which kind, which one, you know, among all the various varieties. Well, I want to sound out very loudly. Jesus is the standard. He's the one that sets it, and we must follow his life, his teaching, 
and what is important to him. So I start out in the book saying, I want to introduce you to Jesus because most people don't know Jesus, even though they might proclaim themselves to be a, a Christian. You know, if I were to ask the uh, average person, give me five parables that Jesus taught. Give me three or four important teachings that he that he gave. And they would look at you kind of with a blind stare. Well, I believe he died on the cross for forgiveness of sin. So that's important. It needs to be believed. But how do you follow somebody you don't know? And what was important to Jesus? You know, what things did he risk his life for? You know, when he challenged uh, healing on the Sabbath, you know, it was a, a threat to his life. They wanted to kill him whenever he was trying to confront those kind of misunderstandings about God. You know, uh, in our, I believe within Christianity, we want an easy way of just simply, I believe there's a God, and as long as I believe there's a God, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Well, Jesus set a stronger standard than that, a supernatural way of living that he wanted us to follow, not just believe he exists. Amen. And that relationship and knowing him and experiencing him and, uh, being conformed to his likeness is all that's it's all a package deal it's way more than just saying his name and saying i get to go to heaven right you're missing out on a world of adventure and life and life at a different level than just existing you know most people just think of eternity is more of uh, of, of existence it's not it's moving to the level of life with god Amen. So your comment about substituting believing something about Jesus for following him dovetails into a quote from your book, which I would like for you to address. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. There's a critical difference in believing in Jesus versus answering his call to follow him. Believing is much easier than following Believing does not get in the way of how we live. Ooh, that's good. The demons are a prime in your press for everyone to follow Jesus rather than simply believe something about his life. Are you not saying that works are required for salvation? Okay, there's two important points here that you're you're, you're pressing. And uh, the, the English text, which we depend on to read, uses the word believe. It's translating the Greek word faith, you know, and let me give you an illustration. You know, believe can have such a, a weak or very strong uh, 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 meaning to it. it. You know, I can say, I believe it's not going to rain, so let's pack a lunch and go to the woods. Well, if it rains, that's not, a, that's not much uh, of, of a concern. You know, I, I don't risk much with that kind of belief. But if I'm walking in the woods and I come upon a footbridge that's spanning a cavern and I say, I believe that's a footbridge and it's strong enough to carry my weight. Now, when I believe I'm going to walk across it, I'm putting my life on the line for it. You know, I, I'm relying on that bridge for uh, instead of just believing something about it. You know, we we. Uh, you know, this this thing, this thing about our works required for salvation. You are. Can I ask you? Are you a coffee drinker? Yes, I am. Okay. What if you drink three coffee, uh, three cups before before nine? What will it have an effect on you? Yeah. This about blows your brain, right? You know. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. And I'm saying, if three cups of coffee was going to have that kind of effect, let me ask you the question then: If by definition Becoming a Christian means that we're supernaturally born again. We're indwelt by God's spirit 
And as the New Testament said, we have now are not ordinary, but become a new creation. Shouldn't there be some evidence or effect on you? If coffee can have that much effect on you, shouldn't being supernaturally born again and dwelt by God's spirit, shouldn't that just have some evidence? So works are not to merit our salvation, but works are an evidence of our salvation. How can we be born again and dwelt by his spirit being, uh, we are a living, walking miracle. And shouldn't there be some evidence of that? If caffeine can have an effect on it, surely God indwelling us ought to show something through our lives and in our lives that would be, first of all, evident to us that I'm different now than I used to be and evident to, to those around us. Absolutely. That is the truth. And, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of people out there that have gone forward at a Billy Graham crusade or some some deal that where they said the prayer and they think, OK, I got my ticket. I'm good. And that you never see any more out of them that that would indicate that they're following Christ. And right. that's uh, you know, Jesus said, you will know, the folks by their fruit. And so there should be something coming out of you. You know, the spirit, you know, he works. uh, There's something in that that happens to us, in us and through us. If we're Christians, something happens to us. We're born again in us. We're indwelt and through us like the vine and the branch parable. There ought to be something of God moving through our lives that's evident to the world around us. Amen. Amen. So many would consider your concern for the state of Christianity to be overstated. And how do you respond to that? All right. Let's 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 narrow Christianity into first of all American Christianity. You know, nah. we we Americans think we're the center of the universe, but uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh Christianity in America is in crisis. You know, I'm I'm old enough to have watched how Christianity's influence in the public square has has all but gone. You know, our nation was founded with Christian principles. It was guided by Christian values and Christian principles throughout its its lifetime. But now it's no longer the case. You know, Christianity is not the major influence in the public square. Now, even among Christians, you know, in American Christianity, we can agree on the, the life of children, the sacredness of life. We can agree on whether abortion is okay or not okay. We can't agree on the qualifications of clergy. We don't even agree on the definition for marriage before God, what that should mean, what it, and the place of Scripture. Some people say, well, we got to kind of reinterpret the Bible in light of a new era and not, you know, if God was writing it now, he'd have to write it differently. He'd have to be more inclusive than, than some of his concepts. I read a recent poll, and it says, in America, in the age group of folks over 70, 84% will acknowledge some form of attachment to Christianity ratchet it down to the millennials and the the percentage moves from 84 to 49. Mm. We're losing the next generation. You know, Christianity in America is soon going to go away. But whereas in in Africa right now, 300 million Christians, 25% of all Christians in the world live in Africa now. When I was a kid, we went to, to Africa to evangelize the pagans you know, to, to rescue them from their, their, their craziness. And now uh, they, they, it's projected they'll double in the next five years. China, as oppressive as it is, has multiple Christian growth there in, into the thousands, even in Asia, where, the, you know, in the countries where it has to be a faith worth dying for, that's where it was, it, that's where it still is in Africa now, in China, in, in Asia. We live in with total freedom in Christianity, and Christianity means nothing to us. 
You know, you know, as a counselor for 50 years, I can assure you, I deal with people with problems in their marriage, problems in their lives and all this sort of thing. And very simply, I can turn to them and say, if you walk out what you say you are as a Christian, the problems in your marriage will go away. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you know, we wouldn't have a, a discussion right now. If you walked out your faith in trusting God instead of worrying about whether I please my employer or I'm going to lose my job or what am I going to happen when the, everything crashes and burns? Hey, where is your faith? Where is your, 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 uh, your confidence in God? You know, mm-hmm. we, we've got uh, in American Christianity, uh, it's more an event people attend churches than a life they live. Yeah, and that's a, that's a that's a great loss. Yes, it is. And for some reason in America, we don't seem to understand that God is sovereign. And if he's allowing something in our life, then he wants to use that to make us more like his son. And Absolutely. we don't seem to get that here. They seem to get it in other countries. But I don't know why, why we don't hear well, uh, you know, I had a friend from India that I've worked with for years as a mission. He's a missionary there in India. I mean, indigenous uh, person there, and he said the greatest obstacle to faith in Christian in American Christianity is of our affluence. Yeah, you know, when we we don't live depending on God and right. for life and for uh, food and everything else, we we depend on ourselves mostly and mm. well, primarily in that sort of thing. So exactly. Right. OK, so most people feel that if they believe in God and try to be good, then all will be OK. So what's the basis for your challenge of such thinking? OK, uh, it, it's very um some things are said just occasionally in the scriptures, but some things are repeated and they become a theme. They become an emphasis. If I follow the teaching of Jesus and, and, and you hear him at the end of the Sermon on the Mount so boldly to stand and say, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's a bold statement. If that's the only time he said that, you know, I'd kind of say, well, I need to hear that. But it goes on. You know, they'll turn to him at another point and say, Master, are those who are going to be saved, will it be many or few? Most people don't believe as long as I'm above average, I'm all going to get in. Jesus said, not many, only few will find their way because the gates are narrow and only a few will find. Well, on a scale of one to ten, few is one or two. It's not eight, seven or eight or nine, you know. And, and, you, and then again, uh, he will turn to another group of people and said, you know, you all say you believe in God, but you're just ap- actors, hypocrites. You know, you're, you're playing a role. You're playing the church role. You know how to speak the church language. You know how to go to the meetings and do all that sort of thing. But it's not something that's in your heart. And he turned to the major Jewish uh, group called the Pharisees. And they were the fundamentalists. They were trying to call Israel back to the roots of their faith. You know, they tithe and they they did all those rules of the laws. Most He said, not only will you not enter, but you're causing others not to enter because you're introducing them to a religion of traditions. And you're not connecting the people with God in, in the heart where their lives are changed. He said, you you traverse the land, make converts. And when you do, you make them twice the child of hell. Now, how do you make somebody twice the child of hell? You convince them they are saved when they're not. Yes. You know, you know whenever I, I feel like in, in, in terms of my book, 
book, I'm trying to reach people who think they're saved, but they're not, who think that as long as I believe in God and being good, well, the, the demons believe in God. You know, uh, exactly. you know, the Jews were, you know, they believed in God. They revered the scriptures. They attended the synagogue and went to the temple. And Jesus stood into a major group before a major group of them and says, you say that Abraham is your father, but he's not. The devil is your father. How could he be so strong? So, so when I start putting all this package together, then it, when he gives this parable of these 10 maidens, all of them want to go to the wedding. All of them want to go to heaven when I die, right? Okay, five of them made adequate preparation. Five of them didn't. The five that made didn't make the adequate preparation beat on the door, tried to get in, and the door was shut. You know, we've got to hear that Jesus don't, doesn't just say this once. He says, listen, this is a commitment of life, soul, and body. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're talking about true connection with God. Mm, amen. Amen. So I understand that you live on a farm. What unique insight does this give you in being a follower of Christ? Oh, well, you know, I, uh, in a country we have a saying, you, you're trying to put uh, five quarts in a gallon jar. It just doesn't fit. You know, yeah, you only know, got about three minutes. For yeah, you know, okay, first of all, I know what it means as a herdsman to walk out in the field. My cattle will lift their heads and look toward me. And if I call, they will, they will immediately come running because I'm the guy that feeds them. I'm the guy that takes them to a new pasture. I'm the guy that makes sure they got water. I'm the guy that's, that, that does that. You know, I don't have to drive my cattle from one field to the next. I can go into a field. I can call them. They will follow me like the Pied Piper, you know, because they know me as their, their shepherd. And they know that I'm taking them as something good. And they trust me with that. The little guys that have been born, uh, they're, they're a little bit tougher. My, my, my uh, cattle dog and my wife kind of go along behind them in the back to kind of keep them moving. But after a couple of moves, they understand, hey, this guy is the guy we need to follow. So I understand what Jesus said whenever the sheep hear my voice. And when Jesus steps into our life, we ought to be raising our head, looking in his direction to see if he's going to call our name and say, come, I got something for us to do. You know, I raise cattle, fences, you know, our life. You know, when, when Jesus gave us uh, rules, they were fences to protect us. My fences keep my cows from eating their winter hay supply. If there's no fences, there'd be no hay for the winter. But, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I fenced them out of that area and then I fenced them into blocks so that I can let grass recover and we can have fresh grass for them to grow to. Otherwise, they run around and, and plow it all in the ground with their feet. There are just so many uh, illustrations on the farm that, like you said, I don't have time to do that. So I it, love that. But I in, love the book, that. in the book, I do some of those illustrations as well. So maybe if, if they're interested in that, they can read some of those. Absolutely. Okay. So as we wrap this up, what is your number one goal for the book? I want to introduce people to Jesus. I want them to know him. Mm -hmm. I want them to know how he lived, what he taught. Life was not a, was not a, a walk in the park for Jesus. They tried to kill him at every turn. You know, he had to wrestle with people who believed they, they knew God that didn't. And he tried to bring life to people who, who convinced they already had it. He was up against it all the time his life was tough but even in the midst of it they spit in his face smack him he had composure he would he would uh, you know he he's an exemplary life the way he lived it i you know when jesus uh, uh the woman that, with the issue of blood that touched him and felt like that when he called her to him that he was going to condemn her for being an unclean woman that touched the holy man and he reached down and touched her and he says daughter 
He didn't mm. say woman. He said daughter. You know what these people believe about you because uh, you you got this bleeding problem. God doesn't believe that about you. You 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 know you're God's child, and we love you. And He raised her up out of that. You know, I, I just want to give people a glimpse of Jesus and try to take take them to not just existing, but to a level of living that's only to be found in God. Mm. So, that you know, if I had just give me thirty seconds here. Okay. The Genesis opens with this story of God and Adam, and in a beautiful picture that it, that that God would come to Adam in in the evening, in the cool of the day, and walk with him in the garden. God's saying that door is open right now. I want to walk with you in the garden of your life. I want to take you by the hand. Let's go for a walk. Let's go out and get away from all the stress and the junk. I want to walk with you. I want you to know that you're cared for, you're loved, and I'm going to take care of you. And I've got something in store for you that your mind can't even behold. So I want to introduce people to taking a walk with God in the cool of the day. I love that. And that's, we need that. We need that. All right. So if we have anyone that's listening today who wants to maybe connect with you, is there someplace online? I mean, your book is available on our Redemption Press bookstore. It's available at Amazon and all those other places online. Is there any place online Uh, that you Yes. I have an uh, edmalone.org site that they can come to. Christcommunitychurch.com is uh, also my church website and you can connect with me there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has just been delightful to hear more about just all that God has done in your life and how it's poured out into this important three words that uh, we all need to uh, heed for sure. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Romans 828 Bookstore and Redemption Press. If today's episode encouraged you, we would love to have you share it with your friends on social media and maybe even leave a review on Apple. That will help the algorithms get us up higher to the top when people are searching for podcasts that can bring them hope and encouragement. So thanks again for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.